Well, I'm Pastor Richard. I'm here with Pastor Dustin. And some of you might be aware, if you were here last Sunday, that we didn't leave out the end of chapter 10 of John, but we wanted to spend a little bit extra time on it. So here's a bonus episode of our podcast. Yeah, this is uh, very exciting. This is our first bonus podcast uh, I think we've ever done. Uh, We're up here on a beautiful day in Jacksonville, Oregon, and we're in the tech booth with our very own John Humpton. And uh, yeah, we're going to talk about a pretty fun passage in John chapter 10. It's just the last few verses. Okay, so why, I suppose the first thing is, why do we feel we wanted to do a special bonus podcast rather than a Sunday morning um, service for this particular passage? Yeah, it's a great question. So um, we value expository preaching here, uh, which loosely defined just means you teach through the Bible, uh, sort of book by book, and uh, maybe you bounce around Uh, between Old Testament and New Testament books, but we've taken this year and we're going to preach through all of John, the Gospel of John. Uh, Not to be confused with 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Uh, Same author, but this is his Gospel account. And so there's this tension of we want to teach through the whole Bible as quickly as we can, and uh, we can't spend forever on a Gospel account. We do value other uh, sections of Scripture, so um, it's that tension of holding uh, the authority of God's word, first and foremost, but then also doing it at a pace that uh, allows us to uh, cover a lot of the Bible over the next few years. Um, so that's the tension um, that I'm feeling. And particularly uh, when we get into John chapter 10, um, there is an extended discussion between uh, Jesus and whom John will call the Jews, which, as we've talked about, usually means Jewish detractors, Mm. not all Jewish people. After all, John the author and Jesus and all the disciples and his friends like Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they're all Jews. Um, So it's not Jews in totality, but more Jewish leaders and his detractors. And uh, John chapter 10, uh, starting in verse 22 through the end, verse 42, is all about this discussion about how Jesus... Uh, and the Father are one. And uh, when we preached on that, we preached on uh, verses 22 through 30, which end famously with Jesus declaring, I and the Father are one. And uh, the next section, Jesus goes into such an interesting place. And um, I said it before, I think it's one of the most difficult things that Jesus ever says. Uh, Not that it's unclear that he is the same with the Father in the sense that he is a divine person, uh, God the Son, one of the three persons of the divine trinity. But what uh, is very difficult and has been historically difficult for a lot of interpreters is how Jesus proves that he and the Father are one. So uh, with that, um, what Jesus does here in verses 31 through 42, which we didn't preach on, uh, we picked up in John 11. And the reason we didn't preach on it is because, well, we're going to talk about it today. Uh, but also, Jesus still ends with the same point. He and the Father are one. So from a preaching standpoint, it's hard for me to find another application than we already didn't talk about. We already talked about Jesus and the Father are one. So from a preaching standpoint, um, I think we've covered Jesus's main point. What we're going to talk about today is how Jesus proves from the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, that he and the Father are one. And it's very, very interesting how Jesus argues. Yes, it is indeed. And wouldn't you say that most, if not 
in fact, a high percentage of scholars will interpret this passage a particular way. They will talk about the connection with judges and human judges. And if uh, human judges can be referred to as gods, then what's the problem? And yet we've got a slightly different take that we want to share with you today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's very well stated. So um, if you're listening to this podcast, um, if you can, I'd love for you to grab your Bible, open up to John chapter 10, and then also flip to the middle of your Bible and flip open to Psalm 82. And the reason I'm saying that is because Jesus in John 10 is going to quote from Psalm 82. So if we're going to understand Jesus's argument in John 10, we've got to understand the Old Testament passage that he's using and how it makes sense in John chapter 10. So uh, we're doing a little bit of a, a biblical theology right now. What does Jesus understand the Old Testament to be saying? And then how does that shed light on us as to what Jesus's point is? Um, and also scholars have been going back and forth on this passage because it seems to be saying uh, that there are other gods. Uh, after all, Jesus says, have I not said, is it not written in your scriptures? Um, you are gods. And so as um, monotheistic believers, who derive from a monotheistic religion in Judaism, um, this passage makes a lot of people uncomfortable. Um, and I've read just about every academic journal I could find on this passage, and I've read um, at least 10 commentaries on this passage, maybe more. And I've really tried as hard as I can to just academically and scholarly find out what are the options, um, what does Jesus mean? And uh, I, I mean, I even... Uh, read uh, a journal from, looking at it right now, uh, the Journal of Mormon Scripture to try to understand all the various interpretations because uh, even for Mormons, a totally different religion, a different understanding of who Jesus is, what he's come to do, who God the Father is, um, they f see this as a key passage uh, for Mormonism. And so that, you know, for me is even more important that we really try to understand what's going on in John 10 and why Jesus is using Psalm 82. So with that, let's dive right in. So just a little bit of background. Uh, let's read the broader passage, and let's see if you can track with what Jesus is saying. So John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And so the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, it's not because of a good work that we're going to stone you but for blasphemy, because you, being a mere man, make yourself God, which is great theology. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Jesus is God. Uh, the irony, of course, is he is God made man, not man made God, but um, they're sensing the tension correctly. And in verse 34, here's where it gets interesting. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? In the Old Testament, that is. Is it not written in the Old Testament? In the Hebrew Bible, quote, I said, you are gods. Straight out of Psalm 82. Hmm. Jesus goes on. He says, if he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the father consecrated and sent into the world, you're blaspheming? Because I said, I'm the son of God. If I am not doing the works of my father, don't believe me. But if I do them, even if you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. And again, they sought to arrest him. So right off the bat, what I want you to capture is to get 
to understand John 10, you have to see that it begins with this assertion that Jesus and the Father are one, and he ends with that same idea. The Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Me and the Father are of the same kind of something. We are, we are similar in a way that a human is not similar to God. That's the whole point. Um, and so now the question is, why does Jesus go to Psalm 82? Well, this is it. And the, the Pharisees, the Jewish uh, authorities that he's talking to, they would have known Scripture. They would have known Psalm 82 <clears throat> inside and outside and upside down. But wouldn't you say that here Jesus is giving them the proper interpretation and the real meaning and that's why it's so important for us to know the Old Testament as well. I mean, I hear it so many times, you know, Richard, that the Old Testament is so hard, it's so difficult, mm-hmm. God is so different. Um, can I just leave that out? And, and again, I think this is another passage that really points to the fact that we need to hold the two in tension with each other and see them in light of one another. Yeah, you're exactly right, right? Um, you know, the old saying is we need the Old Testament to interpret the New Testament, and we need the New Testament to interpret the Old Testament. So um, the reason I find this passage so hard, though, is because all throughout the Gospel of John, John has been asserting that Jesus is God. Uh, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Mm -hmm. Uh, Before Abraham was, I am. And then here Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And the Jewish leaders, they respond, they say, you're making yourself out to be God. And Jesus does not deny that. He doesn't say, well, take it easy, guys. I'm not actually saying that, chill out. Instead, what Jesus does is he goes to a proof text. He goes to Psalm 82, and then he again asserts the idea that he and the Father are on the same level or of the same kind or have a a union that normal people don't share with God, that he is unique. And so I think that that becomes kind of the question, okay, so um, what possible explanation what understanding of Psalm 82 makes sense in that context. And so let's right off the bat, let's talk about how um, throughout time certain people have understood what Jesus is saying. I think at first blush, most people will probably take what's happening in John and they'll say, well, I guess what Jesus is saying is humans, maybe Israelites or maybe really important humans, can be called, quote unquote, gods, lowercase g God, not the God, but sort of like many gods. And Jesus is saying, well, the Old Testament calls humans gods sometimes, so why are you getting mad at me when I say I'm the son of God? Uh, Which, you know, I don't really think makes any sense because Jesus's point is not that he's like other humans. He's not saying, hey, we're, we're all gods. Hey, guys, we're the Israelites. And come on, knock it off. We're, we all know we can call ourselves gods. So why are you getting mad at me? Jesus is not uh, saying that he's like humanity. What he's saying is he's like God the Father, and he's not like humanity in that sense. He's distancing himself, not from the Father, not from divine, but from uh, mere mortals. And so um, that begins to sort of create the problem in my mind. Okay, what is going on in John 10? Because does the Old Testament ever call humans gods? So that, that begins that now we've got to do a biblical theology and we have to do a word study. Mm-hmm. And um, like this, you know, I've gone through all of these scholarly articles and journals and um, you can do word searches. Um, in Psalm 82, if you flip over there in your Bible, 
in Psalm 82, um, God has a conversation with a group that the ESV rightly translates as gods. And in the original Hebrew, the language this was originally written, that word there is Elohim. Elohim. You've probably heard that it's plural, but it doesn't always have to be taken as plural. That's God's divine name. Um, it's similar to, um, you know, I grew up with a guy named Sanders, and uh, that was his first name, but he's only one person, right? But you could also say, I'm, I'm going to the Sanders family reunion, and you understand Sanders can also mean plural, not just singular. So Elohim, uh, all that to say, is plural in Hebrew, but it almost always refers to the singular God. It's just a singular God. And now the question is, is what's going on in Psalm 82? Well, if you read Psalm 82, it starts off and it says, God, that is Elohim, the God. God has taken his place. So there's that singular. We're talking about the God. So God, Elohim, has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, the Elohim, he holds judgment. And in the midst of there, grammatically in the Hebrew, has to be plural. You wouldn't say in the Hebrew, I'm in the midst of you, Richard. (laughs) You would say, I'm in the midst of the congregation. I'm in the midst of plurality. So what's happening here in Psalm 82 is it says, Elohim, the one God, is in a council meeting that includes other Elohim, other gods. So the question has to be, who are these other gods? Oh, great question, right? So right off the bat, is he talking about humans? Uh, well, uh, there, there, there are a couple of opportunities of uh, translation in the Old Testament, in Exodus 22, and a couple places in the Torah, where um, it talks about certain laws being enacted. Uh, so you could go to, I think it's uh, Exodus 22, verses 8 and 9. And it talks about um, if you want to make a pledge or um, if a slave wants to become a lifelong slave, they're to come before the Elohim and make that vow. And in the King James and in the New King James, the English translators decided to translate the word Elohim as judges. So that's where the judges piece comes in that a lot of commentators then apply to our passage in John 10. Exactly, exactly. And uh, the problem there is um, there's never, ever an instance in the Old Testament uh, where the word Elohim or El is ever actually attributed to a human. It's always in reference to the God of the universe, the only God, Elohim, Yahweh, the God of Israel, or, or like in Psalm 82, it can refer to other lesser beings of the spiritual realm. Ah, so are we talking angels? We are talking about divine beings, okay. of which angels and demons and archangels would be a part of. Okay. And so uh, what's really happening in Psalm 82, and if you're familiar with the scholar Michael Heiser and uh, the Naked Bible podcast, or um, uh, he wrote a book called The Unseen Realm. He is a PhD from the University of Wisconsin in Hebrew and Semitic languages. He wrote his PhD dissertation on, you guessed it, Psalm 82. And uh, what he explains to us is what's happening is um, in the ancient world, 
uh, and this is not just unique to Israelite religion, this would have been across the ancient Near Eastern religions, they would have understood their God to have something like a divine council. It's not a pantheon of equal beings, equal to God, but we would call them divine, heavenly beings. And within that realm, there is a hierarchy. There are archangels, and there are seraphim, and there are cherubim, and there are messengers, which, as you know, are called angels. So they're not all angels, but angels would be a part of this. And so what we're bumping up against is Psalm 82. What's happening is God has called the divine beings, the angels, the archangels, the seraphim, um, whoever his divine counsel of um, key angelic um, divine beings are, and he's calling them to account. And he's saying, uh, you have not exercised um, care properly, and I'm going to judge you, and I'm going to punish you, and you're going to die like men. And he's talking here um, really out of a Deuteronomy 32 worldview. Uh, In Deuteronomy 32, there's a really fascinating passage. And in Deuteronomy 32, uh, this is the Song of Moses. And in the Song of Moses, um, it's right there uh, in Deuteronomy 32. uh, Let me find the specific verse. I'm flipping through my Bible right now. In Deuteronomy 32, uh, he says that he set aside the nations to the number of the sons of God. And what he means by what's happening in Deuteronomy 32 is uh, Moses is saying that in charge of all of the nations are members of some divine realm. So there is some divine Elohim Uh, not a God, like we would understand the word, but some sort of divine being who's exercising authority over the nations. Um, We also see this idea of divine counsel in the book of Job. Uh, Do you remember how the book of Job begins? I do. (laughs) I'd have to have it in front of me to quote it for you. Yeah, so, you know, Satan shows up and who who else is there? The Elohim. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you go to Job 1, it says God convenes the sons of God. Right. And they give an account to how they're operating. And Satan, Satan, shows up and he has a discussion. And so we start to see this sort of divine realm, these divine beings that are not part of our physical world, but they have some sort of level of exercise over the spiritual world, are giving an account to God. And so uh, all that to say, um, this is sort of a deep dive into divine counsel theology. And the reason we're bringing it up is because Psalm 82 the passage in John 10 is one of the clearest depictions of this divine counsel. In fact, that's where we get the phrase, divine counsel. counsel. It's from Psalm 82. And so let's read Psalm 82 and let's see if you can track with sort of what's going on. It says, Elohim, God, the only true God, has taken his place in the divine counsel. He is in the midst of the gods, uh, that is the Elohim, the other lesser divine beings, and he holds judgment. Uh, The Lord says, How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. And then in Psalm 82, God goes on and he tells these members of the divine council, I said, You are gods. You are Elohim, sons of the Most High, all of you. 
Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. So the real issue there in Psalm 82 is he's clearly not talking to humans. Right. Uh, God has never set human judges, Jewish judges, over the nations. And he also threatens these divine beings with dying like men, <laughs> which is kind of an odd threat if you're talking to a human. Yeah. You're going to die like a man. Well, of course you are. We all die like men. The point is, is God's talking to angelic beings. And uh, I know this is probably so crazy for so many people who are new to this. Uh, but um, one last passage uh, that would maybe help you understand that the Bible is monotheistic through and through, but the word Elohim does not always have to refer to the God is in Psalm 8. In Psalm 8, uh, it says, uh, this, a lot of people know this. The book of Hebrews is going to quote this. In the New Testament, it says, Yet you have made man a little lower than the Elohim. The Elohim, which we translate as the heavenly beings. beings. And you've crowned humanity, mankind, the son of man, with glory and honor. And what's great about that is in Psalm 8, that word Elohim is clearly not telling us that we are set a little bit below God, <laughs> right? That's not the point. The point is we are a little bit, um, you know, uh, lower than these Elohim. And in Hebrews, in the New Testament, when they quote that passage, they translate the word Elohim not as God, but as angelos, angels. angels. All right, so there's our deep dive. Any questions about that? <laughs> Other than how does it apply to us today? <laughs> yeah. That's always my question, to be honest. But, yeah, what a great question. Yeah. So, um, again, if you're new to the idea of divine counsel, you can go on YouTube and type in the words divine counsel Bible project, and there's a great video that walks you through this. Um, I think part of the way that it applies today is um, – We've got to see that we live in a post-enlightenment, hyper-rationalistic worldview. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of parts of the Bible that we just gloss right over because we don't seem to really know how to handle them. And so Paul will say things, and we just sort of look past them, and we think, well, that's really odd and weird. Um, and we don't really have the spiritual worldview mm -hmm. that a lot of the people in the Bible carry. So Paul will say things like in Colossians 2, Paul can talk about the gospel and he can say, um, our record of debt, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And we totally understand what that means. And then in the same breath, Paul finishes that sentence and he says, and by doing this, he has disarmed the rulers and the principalities of the world. So what in the world, why does Paul go there? What, you know, we would never formulate part of the gospel victory as disarming rulers and principalities. Uh, but in this ancient worldview, Paul sees these demonic evil forces that are in control of the Gentile nations as having now been defeated in Christ. And now the gospel of grace is now advancing into Gentile nations. And those who formerly worshipped uh, the quote-unquote lowercase gods of the nations are now able and empowered to worship the God of Israel. And, you know, so you and I stand as you know, the fulfillment of that Gentile promise. And so part of it is just we've got to understand the, the biblical worldview. And then the other way it applies, I think, is we start to see that um, we're not to be obsessed with the spiritual realm, uh, but we are supposed to study God's word and let it speak to us and shape us 
and shape our understanding of what it is that we're up against. Um, it seems like um, as Christians, you're either like, you'd never talk about the spiritual realm because <laughs> it's super weird and you don't want to get obsessed with it so you don't ever think about it. Or you go on the furthest extreme and you try to engage it and you go way overboard and everything is hyper-spiritualized and um, it gets almost to an obsessive level. Um, but I think, you know, if you're trying to be a biblical, faithful Christian um, and trying to understand what's going on in Paul's mind when he's writing Colossians or what's going on in Jesus's mind in John chapter 10, when he references the divine counsel, um, you've got to start getting in this idea of the divine counsel, this hierarchy of spiritual beings, which really brings us back to John chapter 10. So um, all that to say, this is quite the discussion. Um, I don't know if it's been totally clear, but in some ways, hopefully it's helpful just introducing you to these topics. But what, what's going on in John chapter 10 is Jesus is looking at these Jewish leaders who have accused him of blasphemy, saying that he is God. And what Jesus does is he goes back to Psalm 82 when God addresses these angelic divine beings. And what Jesus is saying is he's saying, I'm, he's not saying I'm a human like you, so chill out. What Jesus is saying is he's saying, I come from the divine realm. I was there at the divine council meetings. I and the Father are one. I'm not a human, only I'm fully God and fully man. I'm God the Son. And God has looked at the um, divine council members, and if he can call them gods and commission them to do God's bidding in the world, then God can send his own son, whom he consecrated into the world, to save us all. And if you respect the divine council and you understand that even they can be divine, you need to recognize that the Father has sent me into the world, consecrated on his behalf, and you should see my proof in the works that I'm doing. I am clearly from the spiritual realm, and I and the Father are one. And you should look at what I'm doing, because a mere mortal can't do what I'm doing. I think that's closer to what Jesus is arguing. Well, that certainly is food for thought. <laughs> I'm sure those listening are going to have to listen again and read through this. And both of us would love to sit down as we do from time to time with each other and wrestle through this stuff and wrestle through with you as well. So we hope you've enjoyed this bonus episode of our podcast. And if you have questions, listen again or talk to us. And we'll be back with more of these when we hit these sort of passages, I'm sure. Hey, thanks, Richard. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. Okay. Bye.